0: For listening to our podcast, Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> As Ian said, I'm part of the team here and have been for a year now. And people ask me, um, I think Matt asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, so how do you like being a part of the church at the well staff, you know, what do you like about it? And, um, when I tell people that my favorite part of being on staff is staff meetings, um, people look at me like, like I'm weird. Um, like there's something wrong with me. Um, or that I'm trying to suck up to somebody like, Oh, I just love staff meetings. Um, (laughs) and I get it because like, People who do have staff meetings as part of their lives, um, they probably wouldn't rank that activity in the top 10 or 20 or 50 events um, or activities that they get to prepare or that they get to participate in, right? Like how many people have staff meetings and wish you didn't? (laughs) Okay, well, I love staff meetings and this is why. Um, Every week I get to sit with five people who I really want to be like when I grow up. Um, and I mean that. I'm not being corny or anything. Like, I truly mean that Church at the Well is, is blessed with some of the most humble and intentional and caring and devoted and discerning leaders I've seen. So I'm really grateful to get to be here, and I'm grateful to get to learn from you all and serve you, and I'm really glad to be a part of this community. I also want to say, if you're new here with us today, welcome. i happy you found us. Maybe you found us Uh, on Google. We're like the first church that shows up when you (laughs) Google churches in Vermont. Um, We'll get to how I know that um, in a couple minutes. Um, But this morning, I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you, including how I got to Vermont. And I'm going to share a bit of my heart for our community. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture together that has been shaping me and forming me. And here's my hope in doing so. I hope that you'll marvel with me at the kindness and the faithfulness of our God. I hope that you'll be encouraged by what God is up to in our city. And I hope that we'll be challenged together to consider what Jesus might be inviting us and those around us to as we leave here this morning. So my name is Jordan. I grew up in a small town on an island in western Washington State, And um, through a long series of events, I ended up here living in Burlington, Vermont. And when I was younger, I never imagined that I would be 3,000 miles away from where I grew up at the age of 29, spending time with all of you here or any uh, church, you know, on a Sunday morning in Vermont. And to be honest, I never imagined that I would be a follower of Jesus. Um, That's not something that I had planned for my life um, I wasn't raised in church. my parents uh, were not followers of Jesus and they had their fair share of religious complexities we'll say <laughs> of religious festivities in their stories um, you know that so I didn't have any religious background growing up I never went to Sunday school or anything like that and the only time I remember praying when I was young was uh, when someone that we knew died or um, when I went to play bingo with my grandma. Um, And my very young and earnest prayers want something like God. (laughs) God, if you're there, um, and if you can hear me, I really, I really hope that I win the $50 jackpot tonight at Bingo. Please, God, if you're there, would you hear my prayer? And, you know, that prayer worked once or twice, um, but it didn't work enough for me to be sold out for Jesus by any means. But on top of that, there were layers that I had to claw through in order for me to even get through the doors of a church. And then even more layers beyond that for my heart and my mind to get to a place where I would choose to surrender my life to a Lord that I wasn't even really familiar with. I had questions about my identity, who I was, why I was made the way I was. My story at that time was marked with shame and secrets. I wasn't sure of my future, and I had this idea of the church that, from what I knew about it, it definitely wasn't a place for someone like me. And I remember thinking back then, God, God, if you're there, (laughs) if you're there, I know what your people think of me. And so I know what you probably think of me. So I don't know what you're going to do with me. I don't know what you want to do with me. And I don't know what you're going to do with all this. In response to that, I heard what I believed to be the voice of Jesus for the first time, say to me, it's okay, I'll take care of you. It's okay, I'll take care of you. So at 17 years old, a senior in high school, I said yes to Jesus for the first time. Yes, you are Lord of my life. Yes, I will follow you. And yes, I will trust you and believe you when you say you'll take care of me. And I'll admit, there's still a lot, so much I have to learn about Jesus. I'm sure we could all agree on that, right? But here's something that I've become convinced of in the years I've spent doing my best to say yes to Jesus. One, Jesus is in the business of interrupting stories. Amen? Jesus is in the business of interrupting stories. When we see it throughout Scripture in the stories of Paul and Peter and so many others in the Gospels, And we see it in our own lives too, right? Where God interrupts our plans and our stories and our way of doing things and our way of thinking. And in these interruptions, Jesus extends an invitation. An invitation to a better story. This is something else I've become convinced of. That every time the story Jesus invites us to is much greater, much better than the stories we would write on our own. Amen? Every time the story Jesus invites us to is much greater than stories I would write by myself on my own. And sometimes the story doesn't make sense in the moment, right? (laughs) And sometimes it's actually not easier. And most of the time it seems way bigger than ourselves. But all the time, as we sang this morning, Jesus is faithful to be Emmanuel, God with us. And to finish the good work he has started in us and through us. So 17 years old, I graduate high school, and I end up staying in my hometown for three more years. I got a job at Starbucks, which I still have today. Praise God. (laughs) 11 years later, um, there's stories about that. Um, And I started serving at my church. Uh, I, I spent a significant amount of time there. I ended up working there actually doing a wide variety of things. Anybody um, ever serve at a church or work at a church? You know what I'm talking about when I say a wide variety of things. But, But really what I learned was what it looked like to say yes to Jesus, not just one time, but every day, day after day, saying yes to Jesus. And I learned that from amazing pastors and friends and mentors who I really look up to who saw something in me, and believed what God was doing in my life, and they gave me a shot. Um, one of them is here today, Janelle. <laughs> Wave to everybody. And before you feel bad about me calling somebody out, um, she has done this to me so many times <laughs> when I've gone um, and, and watched her speak. So um, if you see Janelle after service, say hi. Oh. A <laughs> couple years after that, I went to Bible college at a small school called Life Pacific College, just outside of Los Angeles. And what I said earlier about the, uh, you know, the part about the story Jesus inviting us to not really making sense at the moment, um, this was one of those moments um, because I had never anticipated moving and living in Los Angeles. I went there for a vacation with some friends, and it was everything that you would expect a sunny Southern California vacation to be. There was great Beach time, there was some juicy sunburn, Um, there was in and out It was everything you would expect, except for someone on the trip took us on a tour of their alma mater, which just happened to be Life Pacific College. And we walked into the chapel, and my stomach dropped, and my heart skipped a beat. (laughs) I was suddenly made aware that God was asking for my yes there. Jesus was calling me to L.A., I I don't know if I had anything planned for my life at that point but I knew that whatever the plan was it definitely did not involve moving to Los Angeles um, I was upset by that. I cried, um, and I had so many concerns about moving to California. How will I drive here? I'm scared of the traffic. Um, I think all the stories are true about L.A. traffic, and I'm scared. And, and where's the trees? Like, not the, not the shrubs and, and the brown trees and the palm. Where are the evergreens? I grew up in Washington. Where, where is the foliage? <laughs> it's too hot here. What am I going to do? But my, my concerns beyond that, the deeper concerns, were a little bit more revealing. And I wonder if anybody can relate to some of these. How will I leave all that I know and all that I love in Oak Harbor? Will I belong there? <laughs> can I make it? What will happen to the friendships that I hold so dear in Washington? Will I be alone But after all that, I went because I was learning about what I'm now so convinced of, and that's that the story that Jesus was inviting me to was going to be way better and more meaningful than one I could come up with for myself. So after a year of not really liking L.A., God uh, softened my heart for this city, and I fell in love with it. I loved the people I worked with at Starbucks, Starbucks, I loved the people I went to school with, and I eventually ended up loving, uh, well, uh, liking the heat and and learning how to wear jeans when it was 85 degrees outside. (laughs) Um, God used LA to shape me in ways that I can't even begin to explain to you, and I can say with near certainty, I wouldn't be here with you today if it wasn't for my time there, so thanks be to God. While I was in L.A., I got involved with a rather unconventional church plant um, or a church, you know, new church starting. So what was originally going to be a church near one of the university campuses um, turned into a small collective of young people who were on the fringes of church and folks who had never been a part of a church community before. They, They were my coworkers. They were my friends. They were my classmates who got kicked out of Bible college for reasons that you get kicked out of Bible college for. Um, And here's what we'd do. We would meet at different coffee shops around the city. And Sunday mornings for us consisted of catching up around a table, reading scripture together, journaling, hearing a teaching, and praying together. And it didn't look like church like this. There was no worship band or a music stand or registration table or maybe even an iPad, I don't think. But we had church. We had a meaningful gathering where together we learned to say yes to Jesus one day at a time, and we learned to love our city. Two years into meeting with this group, the pastor who I had worked with in Washington asked me to pray about leading the group to become the pastor of that, of that church. Now, this was another interruption that didn't make sense at the time. I was underqualified, and I was overwhelmed in my own personal journey with Jesus, but I showed up trusting that God would somehow use my yes to point people to him. And there I was, continuing to learn again that the story Jesus was inviting me to was much greater and more meaningful than one I was going to come up with on my own. And not only that, but looking back, I recognized that Jesus was using this church experience to prepare me for what he would be up to in seasons to come. So I pastored this group for a couple more years before making the move to Burlington, but the move here was brewing long before I ever realized it. Uh, I remember my freshman year of college, a chapel speaker was talking about states in the Northeast and I swear I heard her say Vermont, and I was intrigued for some reason. I couldn't explain it, but I was curious. Like, oh, I, 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 guess, I guess I've never thought about Vermont before. Um, so I went up to her after chapel, which if you know me, and especially if you knew me back then, you know, this is quite out of character for me, right? Like going up to, to a stranger and saying, hey. But I did. I went up and I said, hey, could you tell me more about Vermont? I remember you mentioned it, and I just, I'm just curious what it's like. And she looked as confused as I felt. <laughs> she said, um, well, I actually never said Vermont. Uh, that's not in my district. Maybe maybe you heard me say Delaware or uh, Rhode Island or something. <laughs> and so I was you know, embarrassed a little bit. So I, but I returned to my dorm room and I decided to Google Vermont just for fun. And I saw photos of everything we know and love about this place. I was captivated. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I just kept looking at pictures, just blown away by the beauty. And in my senior year of college, I came to Vermont, uh, to Burlington, for the first time, for a week, just to check it out. No obligation, um, if anything, just to get away from the 100-degree L.A. summer. Um, <laughs> and so many things went wrong on that trip. Uh, my flights got canceled, which is always fun, uh, because I spent the night in the D.C. airport, which is a blast. <laughs> I lost my driver's license the night before I was supposed to pick up a rental car. That was silly. <laughs> That was really fun. My debit card got frozen, and I didn't have any money for the last two days. So shout out to the McDonald's in Essex for um, having chicken nuggets on the dollar menu. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, all that stuff happened, and I didn't care. I couldn't. I couldn't explain it. There was there was something about this place that made me so excited. And captured my heart. But when I prayed about what the next steps might be for me after college, I didn't feel a stomach drop or a whisper or a message. I didn't see a message in the clouds or anything like that. There was just waiting. So I took three more trips out here. And on one of them, I visited Church at the Well. And on another of them, I sent an email to our friend Adam Avery, who was at the time a stranger to me. And I asked him to meet. And I just asked him questions about Vermont and about his story and he kindly and patiently, as Adam does so well, listened and responded with kindness and patience. And on my other trips out here, I think maybe I was looking for a message in the clouds or, or just a, a, a thundering voice from heaven saying, hey, it's time, go. <laughs> and I, I didn't hear that. But every time I returned back to California, I couldn't shake this nagging feeling that once again, God might be inviting me deeper into the story that I wasn't going to be able to come up with on my own. And it wasn't just that I sensed an invitation. I noticed that God was beginning to give me imagination uh, for stories I hadn't heard yet and people I hadn't met. Imagination for a yes that wasn't just about my story, but it was about the stories of others. A few of my friends, when I told them that I was moving to Burlington, Vermont, they thought I was a little crazy, and I don't blame them, because sometimes I thought, anybody move here, and, and you tell somebody, I'm moving to Vermont, and they're like, oh, oh, <laughs> I see some hands. Yeah. Uh, my friends asked me, oh, that's cool, um, Bur- uh, Vermont, what state is that in? And I was like, okay, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work to do here, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, you know, I was afraid as well. Again, familiar fears, afraid that things would never be as good as they were in California. Afraid that God might not show up on the other side of my yes, the way that he had so many times before. But in the midst of all that, three years ago, I packed all of my fears and my doubts and my books and my clothes and my dad into my little green key of soul. And I drove across the country to live with roommates I had never met in an apartment I had never seen, in a town I had only been a tourist in. Why? Why does somebody do that? Well, I wasn't 100% sure at the time, <laughs> but this is what I did know. I was finally getting a grasp on what I was created to do. The, the reason I live is to be a safe place and to create meaningful spaces for people to hear the voice of Jesus And respond to it. And I knew my mission was to do just that wherever I landed. I also knew that God was already at work in Burlington long before I got here, um, and He will be long after any of us are gone. I just knew I wanted to be a part of what God was doing right now. And I knew that my heart was burdened for people who have no desire to go to church, who might never see the inside of Main Street Landing or any church for that matter. For those who have little desire to follow Jesus, those who are just like I was once, not really knowing if there's room for them. And for those who underneath it all can't help but wonder if there's something more to life than, than what we see. <laughs> and when people asked me my Vermont plan, I told them things that were true. I want to live in the city for a year. I want to become a resident I want to make friends, I want to listen, I want to learn, but if, if, if I can be completely honest with you, which I feel like by now we're there, so correct me if I'm wrong, um, but to be honest, my primary goal was I just want to survive a Vermont winter. I want to survive winter, because that was like the bit, that was the boogeyman, like everyone told me, oh, move into New England, like you got to watch out for the winter. <laughs> and um, I survived. I remember the first time I saw snowfall a week after I got here. And I remember thinking the first time I cleared snow off my car, I thought to myself, what a, <laughs> what a privilege it is. So many people never experience this. And God, I can't believe I get to clear snow off my car. This is so cool. Like, it was just 100 degrees, like, three months ago where I lived, and now I'm clearing snow off. This is so cool. And I was serious. I was genuine. But uh, my feelings have changed dramatically since surviving a few more winters. I don't think I've ever said any of those words again. (laughs) But nevertheless, when I arrived here, I was in awe of where we get to live, and I still am. Three years later, I still can't believe I get to live here. So as Burlington has become my home, I've learned so much. God has answered my prayers for friends and I've been here long enough to see some of those friends come and go. I've gotten a window into the world of the lives of those around me and they've gotten a window into my life. And I've learned the importance of showing up, that it matters and that God sees the small things and that God somehow uses those small things to grow deep roots. And those take a lot of time. But when God builds that, It's something beyond what we can see or even understand sometimes, and I'm still becoming more and more and more convinced that every day, every day, Jesus is inviting me and us to a story that is more wild and more beautiful and more meaningful than one we would come up with on our own. Amen? Um, I could go on filling in the details about the last three years and the little and big ways that God has shown up, but I'll... I'll save those this morning for when I invite myself to your house for dinner (laughs) or we go and get coffee or something if you're curious. But I'll sum it up for you and say that as my relationships have deepened here and my heart for Burlington has grown, I've started to dream about what an expression of church might look like that would serve my friends and my coworkers who, like I mentioned before, might never enter the doors of Main Street Landing on a Sunday morning or might not have any desire to be at a traditional church gathering. I started dreaming of an expression of church that would work in tandem with the established church but would make room for those who might not ever uh, end up being at our gatherings on Sunday morning. An expression of church for my friend who asks people their birthday right when she meets them, not so she can mark it on her calendar and send them a card, but so she knows their Zodiac sign, so she knows how to interact with them and how they're going to get along and how they're going to fit into the group, an expression of church for the two coworkers who this week cornered me at work while I was making drinks and said, Hey, um, I know we just met, but I heard that you work at a church and that you're a minister. Um, I don't believe that. Uh, what does that even mean? And what do you do? And what do you say when you talk to people? And this is so interesting. What made you choose? Mm-hmm. <laughs> those those conversations never get old. They never get old. And when I think of this expression of church, I see a big, a big old table. A table where my friends would have a seat and be fed, be blessed, ministered to, and they would minister to others. A table where, where conversation would be rich. Uh, um, a table where prayer would be clumsy, but it would be honest. A table where scripture would be read and reread and reread for understanding and truth. A table where the voice of Jesus would be heard, maybe even for the first time through the noise of shame and fear and hopelessness. A table where those in my community might hear God say to them for the first time Hey, it's okay. I'll take care of you. You are my beloved. And I'm pleased with you. As we gather around this table, and this is something like, that, like I said before, God has been preparing in me <laughs> for years, unbeknownst to me. But as we gather around this table, we'll catch up with one another. We'll journal as an act of worship, and we'll read scripture together. We'll discuss our thoughts on the scripture, and we'll talk about what God might be speaking to each of us. And I'll ask questions, and I'll teach a little bit about the passage, and we'll pray together. This is church. And that will be our liturgy. Some, if not all of it, will be new for the people around the table, reading the Bible, praying, journaling even, and being still enough to listen to the voice of Jesus. This is what I do. (laughs) This is what I'm here for. And part of the reason I believe I'm here in front of all of you is to tell those stories, is to share and to celebrate. And and I do share this to celebrate that after a few uh, starts and stops over the last two years, I know it's time to set that table in the next three months for my friends and their friends and their friends and their roommates in our community. And I would love your prayers as me and a couple of my friends embark on this journey of saying yes to Jesus and setting a table for others just as he has set a table for us. And I'd also... Uh, Love your prayers for something else that uh, I like to call family dinner. So this summer, me and two of my friends started hosting dinners every Tuesday night for my coworkers and my friends and their friends and, and their roommates and such. And since July, we've put on almost 20 dinners, 20 meals. Yeah. The reason is to just give my friends a taste of holy community. Um, there's not an agenda um, we just make space for meaningful connection. And it comes at a cost, you know, whatever cost it, it is to feed 8 to 12 people every Tuesday night. Um, but the stories are worth the cost. And as we show up, we're seeing God do something special as we're gathered together. He's bringing the most unlikely people and unlikely stories around for dinner. So um, I'll just ask if you would pray for me um, on Tuesday nights, if you think of that. So I'm going to wrap up this morning. I want to look at a story in Scripture, a story Jesus tells in Luke 14, and it's a story that's been rolling around in my mind for the past couple of weeks, and I thought we would read it together this morning. One of the things I love about the Gospels is how often we can read about Jesus sitting, eating, reclining, talking around a table with people. And I love it because one, I think many of us, that image resonates with us, right? I mean, we, some of us love sitting around a table for dinner and talking with our friends and our families. And another reason I love it is because Jesus reveals so much about the heart and the character of God, not only by what is talked about at these tables, but who happens to be sitting at the tables, One of my favorites is in Luke 5, when Levi or Matthew, after saying yes to Jesus for the first time, hosts a big party, and Jesus shows up and takes a spot at the table with tax collectors and sinners, the scripture says. And in a response to his critics, we see Jesus reveal that God's not afraid or bothered to be with those who might be considered unclean, to be with those who might not be the bright and shining stars of the religious community, Jesus reveals that, in fact, being there with that group of people is part of what he came here to do. Another one of my favorite table scenes is, obviously, the Last Supper. A story we've talked about a couple times over the last couple months here at Church at the wall. And as Jesus sits around a table with 12 of his closest friends, days before his death, he reveals the incredible compassion and mercy of God. The mercy that feels the weight of betrayal and chooses sacrifice instead. So somewhere in the middle of those two moments, in Luke 14, Jesus is sharing a meal around a table with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, some lawyers are there. Um, Some of the critics, I imagine, were criticizing Jesus back at the party at Matthew's house. And at the table, the Pharisees asked Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. So he responds to that. And Jesus also makes a pretty convicting statement about humility, which I imagine would have ruffled some feathers at the table. He tells his audience that when they host a feast, invite the ones that can't pay you back, which was a countercultural move at that time. And I just want to point out verse 15 for a second, and then we'll read some more. So it says, when, when one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And this kind of makes me chuckle, because while it may be true, I imagine what Jesus had just said sucked the air out of the room. You know what I'm talking about? When somebody says something, and you're like, oh, hmm. So <laughs> Jesus just said something that would have been challenging and maybe even upsetting. And instead of letting it linger, this guy has to say, well, aren't we blessed? isn't this a blessed evening? (laughs) Aren't we having so much fun? You know, that statement, uh, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That's something that they would have said um, commonly back then. And so it's almost like somebody's trying to change the subject and be like, oh yeah. So anyway, yeah, aren't we blessed? And Jesus is like, yeah, well, we sure are. And here's what else I've got to (laughs) say. And so we'll read on verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So back then when someone hosted a feast or a banquet or a big party, there'd be two invitations. Uh, the first one was far in advance to let you know that, hey, there's a party happening like, uh, and you're invited. And the second one would be for the day of the event for those who RSVP'd, and it would it would come on the day event to the to, to say like, hey, it's happening tonight. Like, get ready. Verse eighteen. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, "Well, I've just bought a field, and I I must go and see it. Please please excuse me. <laughs> yes, I bought a piece of land without seeing it, and I'm going tonight in the dark to go check out the piece of land. Uh huh. Okay." <laughs> Verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. He doesn't even say, please excuse me. He's like, no, sorry, absolutely not. I'm not going to be there. (laughs) The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys. Of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 22 Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. There's so much we could unpack here together. We could unpack the excuses that the people made the day of the party, mind you, after they already said they were coming um, for not showing up, and we could unpack how annoying it is to throw a party and then get a text an hour before saying, hey, um, no offense, but um, I'm, I'm busy, and even though I said I, I'm coming, um, I'm not going to be there, <laughs> We could unpack the last verse where the host says, hey, none of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And how if there would have been a chance, maybe one of the Pharisees there with Jesus might have said again, oh, aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed? (laughs) But I want us to pay attention to what Jesus might be revealing about the heart of the Father to his audience and to us as he's sitting there at the table. The host in the story tells Jesus, or the story Jesus tells, the host becomes upset when he gets the news that his guests aren't coming. But, you know, there's no mention of all the food that's wasted or the time and preparation that's wasted. There's no mention of that because, you know what? It's not about that. The host sends out his servant to go and gather. Gather those who would normally be overlooked In that society, there's room at the feast for them. And when that's done, go and gather again. Why? Because there's still room. There's still room at the table. Go to the highways. Go to the outskirts of town. Why? The host says that my house will be filled. That my house will be filled. I wonder if Jesus is inviting his audience to a different story in this moment. A story and a life that would make room for those that don't belong, that don't seem like they're a good fit. A story that would save a seat at the table for those on the highways on the outside. A table with room for those who seemingly don't have anything to offer the host in return. Those who might not be clean or those who might be afraid of being turned away if they showed up as they were. And Jesus models this story, doesn't he? I mean, in the next chapter of Luke's gospel, we hear a familiar refrain, a critique from the very group of people that heard this message. Oh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Might have been a critique from them, but it's a comfort to us. Amen? This man receives sinners and eats with them. And I wonder if through this story that Jesus told around a table, Jesus is pointing to another table, the table of the kingdom, one at which there is still room. Amen? There is still room. Room for us, praise God. Room for our coworkers. Room for our classmates. Room for our families, our siblings. Our parents, our friends, and perhaps Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father here. The heart of the Father that desires that his house would be full. And I thank God for that. You know, if, you, if you've said yes to Jesus before, you understand that somehow by the grace of God, you were lost and you're found. You've been on the highways and the hedges, so to speak, and now you taste and see that the Lord is good and you have a seat at the table. Praise God. Praise God. If you haven't said yes to Jesus before or aren't sure what that even means, would you hear today that there is room for you? There is room. So I'm going to pause here and consider one last thing. The messenger, the servant in the story. I, I plan to talk about him more and make a little bit of a bigger deal about him. Um, but this morning I notice not just his presence and actions in the story, but the invitation that he brings, the invitation that he carries He travels to unlikely places at the request of the host, yes, but the invitation he brings is the most impressive thing. He's going out compelled by the heart and the urgency of the host to find those willing to listen, to invite them to a feast, to a table, and to tell them the good news that there is room for you at this party, that you can come as you are that you don't need to tidy up or be a good fit for this party. There's room for you, and the host is intent that his house would be full. (laughs) Think about that. Do you think it's a stretch to say that each of us carry that same invitation with us? That as we're scattered about in our respective spaces and spheres of influence, that we also compelled by the heart of the Father, might be able to tell people, hey, there's room for you. I know a place where where there's a seat for you at the table. I know you don't know about that. You might feel like you have nothing to bring, like you don't belong, but I want you to know you don't, you're invited. There's room for you. And the God of ages is intent that his house would be full, and that includes you. Do you think it's a stretch to say that we carry that invitation out with us? So at this time in a perfect world, I would imagine, you know, all 50 or 60 or 70 of us sitting around a rather large table (laughs) discussing this passage together and journaling about it and and talking about, you know, where we see ourselves in the story and the names and the faces that that God brings to our mind. But we don't live in a perfect world and, and we're honoring the limitations of our space and our time together. But I do want us to pray together and i i have a suspicion that as we talk about this table and we talk about the fact that there is room there is still room god is bringing to mind faces and names and people in your own life that are waiting for an invitation an invitation to the feast um, <laughs> an invitation to the message that Jesus in his mercy and love has set a table and there's still a seat at it for them. As we close together, um, as we close our time together, I want us to close our eyes and we're going to take a moment silently to pray. Uh, We're going to pray for those who come to mind, those that right now you're thinking like, oh yeah, I I wonder if they know there's room for them. I wonder if they know that there's a seat at the table for them. The, the, the people that you think of that, that, that God is bringing to your mind, I'm going to invite you to pray just silently to yourself for those people. And then I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you that somehow, some way, You've revealed to us that that there's room for us. God, that you've given us a seat at your table of compassion and mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness and purpose. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Jesus, thank you for the work that you have done in our stories, inviting us and directing the different turns and twists. God, thank you that you have been God with us. Thank you that you've been faithful. We celebrate that together this morning. And Lord, as we take time and, and, and just think about our friends and our people and our communities Lord, we ask that you would bless them. Lord, bless the people that you've brought to our minds. God, we pray (laughs) for you to make room in our lives to set a table for them. God, give us imagination for what it looks like. To live as you did, Lord, to make room, to sit at a table with people that were probably the most unlikely of company, Jesus. And God, would we be motivated by nothing else but the generous and hospitable heart of the Father and the desire that the Father has? that his house would be full. God, we thank you for what you're up to in our community, and we thank you that we just simply get to be a part of it. So, Lord, would you direct us and show us what that's supposed to look like in our own stories, in our own respective spheres of influence, um, in our own relationships? God, thank you that you're faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, Please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.